if you come into court wearing a rumpled suit with your shirt untucked, your shoes are completely worn out, your socks are hanging down. What message are you conveying to yourself, number one, most importantly, and the importance that you place on yourself? What image are you communicating to the court? What image are you communicating to your clients and anybody you might come into contact with? Are you someone to be taken seriously or are you someone who cuts corners, someone who does just enough to get by? So it's absolutely a piece of marketing because marketing is communication. How do you do, Venters? Today is a special episode dedicated and focused on nonverbal communication with my friend and client, Marty DeCassian, who you have just heard from. If image and nonverbal messages are important to you, then please listen carefully to Marty because he takes it seriously. With Trent the Jet, they like agents on top of pavements, peppermint patty fragrance. Taking the credits when they spits and spritz a chip and dip a dip and dell. I pin the tail, death throw the penalty ID, throwing identity, theft crime in the night. Pick pop, keep the lock, stop, drop, roll the dice, double double dough, eat the rock road. Pro shampoo, tic tac toe, crossing a row with the nice flow. With my industry, you see me room, room, play Monopoly with my commodities, stop the eyes and cross the teeth, teeth. How do you do, venters? Welcome to this edition of Vent with Trent the Gent. Today I am in the sunny city of La Cañada, California. And um, California would be a, a great state to mention at, at this juncture of, of the broadcast early on because I'm sitting with one of the preeminent, or I should say the preeminent California tax attorney. Marty DeCassian of DeCassian Law Firm. And um, so most of you venters out there probably live in California. And so if you're getting into any tax situations, Marty would be the, the gentleman to, to contact. Uh, but with all that said, I wanted to start. And, and first of all, welcome to the, the podcast, Marty. Glad to be here, Trent. And uh, um, really appreciate not just you, but, but the podcast I've uh, become a uh, subscriber and a listener, and I, I really appreciate the work that you do and and uh, the guests that you've had on, and I'm honored to be here. Well, I'm grateful that you are here, and I'm sure that the listeners are too. So I'm going to start off, normally we start off in the very beginning, and we go back to your childhood and things of that nature, but I'm going to start off with a quote um, from Mark Twain, and he said, clothes make the man. Naked people have little or no influence on society. So we'll, we'll start off that way. And most of the listeners know from time to time, clothing and image and wardrobes, all that stuff will come up here and there within the podcast. Um, but today we're probably going to talk a little bit more about image and the importance of, um, of image uh, as an attorney. And so we're going we're gonna to do things a little differently today. And so we hope that you get some value out of um, what Marty and I are going to talk about. So Marty, as a child, where did you get most of your sense of style? What, where did that come from? <sighs> sense of style. I, <laughs> when I was a child, I, there, there, 
certain people at school that would pay particular attention to the way that they dressed and those kids would sort of stand out. I'd look, I'd look at them. I think that my dad was a stylish dresser. I have some vintage photos of my dad in his teenage years and in his years as a young gentleman and he would also always be dressed well. It was sort of that era. My dad was a teenager in the 50s and the 60s and um, he was not born in this country. He was born in, um, in Syria and grew up in Lebanon and the, um, the Lebanese culture I think is uh, very much a European influence culture from uh, music to entertainment to style and fashion and I know that it was an important thing to my dad as he was growing up he'd talk about suits that he had made for him and and particular uh, tailors that uh, that that he had uh, put together uh, clothing for him and I think he would wear those things with pride and I'd see it in the photos he always seemed to be having a good time he'd be in in photos with his with his friends and they'd all be dressed really well. It was a different era. And it's something that uh, I always gravitated toward and always really liked and appreciated was that sense of not stuffiness, but maybe a little formality. And, and it's, it seems like, and maybe I'm starting to sound a little bit uh, older, uh, but it seems like it's going in the other direction. People are dressing down everything is becoming more casual casual friday what does that even mean i have a hard time really even defining that myself and so i kind of like going in the other direction i kind of like going back to a little bit of tradition a little bit of formality and capturing some of what was special and magical about that time ago yeah so in my research I see that you have won four Law 360 Tax MVPs. Um, and so you're, would you say that you going the other way, you know, wearing suits while maybe some of your counterparts are, obviously they can't go into court, not in a suit, but do you think like just your sense of style and your the nuances that you pay attention to, do you think that that has anything with you getting those awards? I mean, obviously your, your work speaks for itself, but does image play anything, uh, uh, you know, in, in that role of you being acknowledged that way? It absolutely does. And I think sometimes we talk about image and, do you remember the old Andre Agassi commercial for Canon or Nikon or one of those camera companies? Image is everything. Mm -hmm. yes. And so it has kind of a negative connotation. I prefer to think of it as communication, right? It's communicating not only to others, but it's also communicating to yourself and who you are as a person and what standards you hold yourself to and other people see it in you. And so absolutely, I believe that it has had an impact on me or vice versa my image of myself and my goals have had an impact on how i it's a chicken or the egg question i'm not yeah. quite sure which came first but i i do believe 
that it's integral to who I am and how I view myself. Mm-hmm. So you actually answered one of the questions I was going to pose to you because um, you're familiar, familiar with Seth Golden. Yes, I am. Right, and so he says marketing is telling a story to get someone to change. And so I was going to ask you, do you feel like dressing and image, is that a form of your marketing, right? I do. I do believe that. And again, you know, if we think about marketing as a subset of communication, what what message are you conveying if you come into court wearing a rumpled suit with your shirt untucked, your shoes are completely worn out, your socks are hanging down? What message are you conveying to yourself, number one, most importantly, and the importance that you place on yourself? What image are you communicating to the court? What image are you communicating to your clients and anybody you might come into contact with? Are you someone to be taken seriously or are you someone who cuts corners, someone who does just enough to get by? So it's absolutely a piece of marketing because marketing is communication. Yeah, totally. So let's talk about color then and so there's a actually I think I wanted to do a um a little game since we're talking about communications because they say that colors communicate a certain message when you wear those certain colors or probably just when you don't wear them just color as a whole. So I'm going to tell you the color. Sure. And then you're going to tell me what that color communicates, right? Let's say if it's a red tie, what if, what it communicates to you, what message it sends, right, when you wear that color. And then we'll see if you match what um, the, the psychology of color, what those people say. Let's see if it's congruent. So red, so let's take red again. What does that communicate to you? Red, I think, is the consummate power color. It communicates aggressiveness, it communicates... What am I thinking of? Aggressiveness, power, mm-hmm. um, you know, positivity. That's what I think of when I think of when I wear red. And sometimes I will not wear red if I don't want my audience to feel overpowered or if I want them to, uh, if I want to be a little bit more subdued, not be as, you know, intimidating perhaps. But I have been told by people uh, who study this sort of thing for a living that that red is one of those colors that commands attention Mm -hmm. that you get into a room with someone and if you're wearing a navy suit with a light blue shirt or a white shirt and you have a red tie that is popping that is that is a design to command attention sometimes it's appropriate sometimes it's not yeah and you mentioned your audience so in your case, more often than not, is that a jury or is that is the I'm, I'm assuming it's the, the tax boards that you are in front of. So who, who which audience are you considering mostly? So that's a very perceptive question. With rare exceptions in tax cases in California, we do not have jury trials. There are some rare okay. exceptions and I'm going to be testing the limits of those coming up soon. I think juries are important. So usually when we're having trials it's before a judge, okay. a bench trial, or if we're before the Court of Appeal, they're appellate justices. If we're at the administrative level, they're administrative law judges. So so that's usually the audience. 
and it just depends on who you draw. Yes, exactly. And so you don't know who's going to be that that certain day, but you know you probably can get a sense of okay, if these are appellate judges, I probably need to be in this space. Otherwise, all those right. things I think about, I don't know, perhaps it's overthinking, but I really pay attention to all that because I do think that people may not admit it, but it has an impact mm-hmm. consciously or subconsciously. Yeah, so it will make a difference. All right, let's get in. Let's let's take the color orange. Orange, I think, radiates positivity. It's, it's the color of the sun. Orange and yellow are both the color of the sun. So it's sunshine, it's it's excitement, it's positivity. All right, you're right. Oh, I didn't tell you if you were right on the other one. Cause no. we, we went off on a tangent, but okay. orange means fun and friendly, according to the study. Red was energizing, stimulating. So I think, you okay. know, you kind of was in, in that realm. Okay. Um, yellow, do you ever wear yellow? Obviously I, not a yellow suit, but... I do, yeah, <laughs> not a yellow suit. But, uh, but I have a number of yellow ties. And um, yellow, what does yellow communicate? I think it's got to be in the same family as as orange. As orange. So youthful is what they mm, said. Okay. All so, right. yeah. So, okay. It's friendly, fun, youthful. I mean, if you're youthful, <laughs> you, you better be fun. I'll get partial credit. <laughs> um, we all know what white means, right? Purity. Pure, pure purity. Exactly. Um Let's take today. You were trying on a um, a gray suit, but more with a, a rust stripe. Um, but then we start talking about brown. So, what about just the color brown? What does that communicate when you wear that? Because a lot of gentlemen are they kind of stray away from from a brown suit. No brown in town, that yes, sort of thing. Exactly. Yeah. Um, what does brown communicate? Brown communicates earthiness, groundedness. Um, it's more of a subdued color. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you said groundedness, so they said approachable. Mm-hmm. So, which is ironic because for whatever reason, as I said, most gentlemen, they stray away from brown, not realizing that that is an approachable type color that maybe, you know, now you might seem a little bit more approachable if you wear brown. So Interesting. All right, great. Uh, yeah, so just thought that was interesting. Wanted to play that little game with you. <laughs> we we talked about shoes, or at least I just mentioned it. And um, as we were trying on your suit, we were discussing some some shoes. So I don't know about you, and probably since your dad was into his image, all I know is as a young man, hearing my grandmother always say. You know, the first thing that a young lady's going to look at when she meets you is going to be your shoes, right? And judging on that, you, you might get the date or whatever it is. So how, um, and you mentioned shoes earlier too. So how important are the shoes to the overall effect of, of your image and what you're trying to convey? Very important. In fact, uh, I think this is some wisdom that's being passed on through the generations because my wife Maria told me that as well. <laughs> is that she looks at a gentleman's shoes and that tells her a lot about that person. It's uh-huh. like reading tea leaves. So no, she did that before dating you? She... Yes, yes. And she probably did. 
and I'm not <laughs> sure what shoes I was wearing at the time. But, exactly. But it, I think it's an important part of the image. It's a detail, and it is... Um, detail almost trivializes it. It's more than that. It, it is your... It's, it, it is in between you and the ground, and it is the beginning, in some ways, of your wardrobe if you're going from bottom to top. Hmm. So you can certainly understand if someone's eyeing you up and down, they're going to, either if they start at the top, they're going to end there, or they're going to see it first and go back up. But shoes are very important to me, and, and I think that that's one of the, the things that people don't really understand and invest in. And so I... I really look at shoes and wardrobe uh, in general, but shoes in particular as an investment. And if you buy a good pair of nice fitting shoes, I'd rather have one like that than have a bunch of shoes that are ill-fitting or, or not high quality. Just give me the one pair of John Lobs mm -hmm. and I'll wear those and I'll have them resold and I'll have them polished and I'll have them shining. And they'll look fantastic. They'll look like a million dollars. And I'll wear those shoes for a long time rather than cycle through a bunch of shoes. And I, and I think it's also important to, to have certain types of shoes in, in your wardrobe. If you, and all of this, of course, is, I mentioned John Lobb. I know that's kind of a higher-end <laughs> brand. Yes. But I'm also a believer that if you look and you spend time that, you don't need to buy a $5,000 pair of shoes to look like a million bucks. You don't need to do that. You need to invest. You can't, you can't skimp on it. You can't pretend like this is something that's not important. But with a little bit of focus and a little bit of attention, you can put yourself together really well and do it within a reasonable amount of money. Yeah, no, totally. Um, you hit on a couple of things there, um, the, the money-wise, right? Since I do custom clothing, most people think that financially it's out of their reach. And I agree just with what you said. It's don't, don't worry about getting custom. Just get something nice off the rack, put it together well, and you're, you can still look like a million bucks. So it doesn't have to be custom. Um, I love how you said, you know, you, you, from your viewpoint, you look at the shoes as being where I look first and, and I work my way up and most probably don't look at it that way. Uh, like I said, eyeing you up, up and down. And what was it, the famous um, Mae West? I think she said she'd rather have a man look her up and down and not look at her at all. And so, yeah, in, in this uh, respect, I think that is appropriate. So yeah, shoes are important. Do you have any, um, considering going back to the day when your dad was dressing and looking at him, uh, any dressing superstitions, anything that maybe quirky, you put your, your, your shoes on before your pants or <laughs> anything like that? No. People do that, you know. <laughs> oh, you do? No, no real superstitions. No, I don't put my shoes on before my pants. But uh, dressing superstitions, I just do everything the same way I always do it. And now, is that just maybe that's just by habit, just because you do it like that every day? Maybe subconsciously, right? Maybe you're not consciously thinking, okay, I put my shirt on first, then I'm going to tie tie. At this point, maybe it's just like brushing your teeth. They say when we brush our teeth, we go in the same rotation 
right? Without even realizing that we do that every day. It could be force of habit. Mm-hmm. But, but one thing I always do is, uh, and, and maybe not so much a superstition, is I, I really, because I invest money in, in my clothing, I really do make sure to, to take care of it. I, yes. I try whenever possible to take my jacket off if I'm in a car so I don't crumple it up. Or when I'm on a plane, sometimes uh, like the other day when I was, I had four minutes to spare. That wasn't possible. I had to just jump into a seat and get back to get back to LA. But in your car? Uh, no, on a plane. Oh, okay. I, I was trying to catch an early flight okay. to, to get back to Burbank, um, and uh, I, I they just said you just need to take a seat right away, and I was like, but I got to take my jacket <laughs> off. She glared at me, so I I like, sort of sat down. Seat. Yeah. But um, but in terms of. Uh, superstitions no not really i um i don't this is not a superstition but i generally will not wear three patterns i generally will not wear a pattern suit a pattern shirt and a pattern tie Mm -hmm. i will want to make sure one of those is solid Solid. for whatever reason and i see some people who can pull it off but i've never done that i don't know why maybe but you but you're open to it I'm open just, to it. I'm uh-huh. open to it. See, I leave the, those sorts of, you know, cutting edge style techniques to you. Okay, this is what I'm saying. We can we can push that envelope if you want. Well, you're the <laughs> professional. I've never seen you wear a bad outfit. All right, thank you for that. Um, let's get into an, another segment that we normally do on Bent with Trent the Gent. And as you know, as a listener... Sometimes I do invent with Trent the Gent. What's the best invention of all times? I've done during Lent. Lent with Trent the Gent. What did you give up during Lent? Uh, for you, we're going to do spent with Trent the Gent. We might do a, actually a couple with you, but spent with Trent the Gent. So what's the best money you've ever spent on an item of clothing or accessory for dressing? Best money ever spent. And then tell us why. Boy, there's there's a lot. Um, the first suit I bought from you uh, okay. was was one of the best purchases I've ever made. It was a, a gray suit with a navy blue stripe that that runs through a single button uh, peak lapel. Um, I get compliments on that all the time, and I feel good wearing it. It just the the way that it just lays on my body is just perfect, and and so. I would say I would put that that up there in terms of an article of clothing. I like watches. Any watch I've ever bought is an investment. And I just love the craftsmanship that goes into a nice mechanical watch. What it comes down to is that I like art and I like beauty and Anytime I can be near it, whether I'm wearing it, wrapping myself in it, observing it, paying attention to it is a good day. And I, and I really appreciate craft. I think it's a lost art. I think we've gotten used to throwing things away here. You know, you buy something, ah, if it doesn't work out in six months, you can throw it away, no big deal. Mm-hmm. But any purchase that I make, and it doesn't need to be an expensive one, any purchase that I make that conveys thought and craft of a part of the person that made it makes me feel good. I bought a this was not an expensive purchase. I was in Italy recently and 
we popped into this this store off one of those cobblestone streets in Rome, walked in. My son, Aram, wanted us to go in. He, there was something that he saw, and I was like, oh, we got to keep moving. But I, I relented, and we went into the store. It was a leather artisan shop. These people made leather goods. They were a small company. You'd never have heard of them. They have no interest in growing, by the way, which is kind of interesting about the Italians. They're, they're just so into doing what they're good at and being the best at it. They made all these leather goods. I bought a pen case in there that I used to, to hold some nice pens that I bought. And you feel that leather. And, you know, the way it feels against your skin, the quality of the stitching, the smell of the leather, it's just... I don't know how much that cost me. It was, it was less than 40 euros. Mm-hmm. It's one of the great purchases I made. Wow. I love that. So, before I get into the um, the other question, you mentioned your affinity for time pieces. I came up with the theory. I think I came up with it. <laughs> I don't think I heard it from somebody else. But I came up with the theory when I'm looking at my target market per se as a custom clothier right we say that there's three types of guys and actually i think you and we say rarely a person meets all three of them but i think you actually meet all three now that i think about it so we say there's clothing guy there's watch guy and there's car guy it's rare that it's that one guy loves all three of those things maybe two maybe just one but all three, but I think you hit all three, right? Because you're you're a car guy, right? I'm a car guy. Yeah. So it's um, amazing that I found one. <laughs> um, bent with Trent the gent. So this one, bent. Now we're gonna form of the word. So what are some of the dressing rules that you have bent along the way that that you you know you just say, okay, I don't care if that's oh wearing white after Labor Day. I'll do that all day long. Any dressing rules that you've been? Yes, I have a silver colored suit that I was told to wear between uh, Memorial Day and Labor Day. And I wear that year round because we're in Southern California. Mm-hmm. I've never had anybody call me on it. But uh-huh. um, did I, you I, wear it in Chicago during that time? You know, you just ch- challenged me to do it. So I think I might. <laughs> I might I going to make it, it back. Yeah. <laughs> they take that stuff seriously over there. It's really, yeah, I will definitely stick out as the California guy, but it is a very, very, very light gray. Uh-huh. And, uh, yeah, so I like wearing that year-round. Yeah. Yeah, like you said, over here we can do that. Um, let's... Larry King, we all know who Larry King is, says, luck is the residue of design. So we're talking a lot about craftsmanships and designing and how particular you are and strategic you are in your, in your wardrobe. So with, with Larry King's statement, what, what is your definition of luck first and foremost? Um, some, usually when preparedness meets opportunity, usually that's what that is. Um, but how, you know, since you're so into design, definition of luck for someone who's so much into design i mean i would think that you might have a different de- definition well you know i i do think that 
that design can play a significant role in in luck because it's how you create those opportunities as you said you you may hit on one out of 10 or one out of 50 or even one out of 100 but it is the process of design that puts you in position to receive those opportunities you know you may have a system in place for prospecting leads you may have a particular product or a pitch or an idea or a presentation so the design aspect comes in on the front end when you're developing the concept and um, and then executing on that concept and putting that concept in front of as many people as you can or enough people or a sufficient number of people that's when the randomness element takes place and somebody might say yes when others say no. So yeah. it's it's the whole preparedness. It all design goes, goes all into preparedness. Mm-hmm. And so when you're dressing in the morning, right, you're thinking of maybe if I present myself this way or wear this color, someone that might make someone say yes. Yes. I mean, I think, again, I think it's part of your daily preparation. Mm-hmm. Some people, and I, I, I try and meditate in the mornings. I, I try and journal and I, I practice gratitude. And, and all these things are preparing you to go out and interact with Dress and your sense of self-worth and your sense of caring for yourself is also a part of this process. It prepares you to go out and interact with others. And whether someone picks up on that pocket score and says, gee, I really like that. That is looks really sharp. Or... Boy, you know, like I was walking through TSA the other day and someone said, compliments to your tailor, you know. <laughs> did that really happen? That did, that did happen. It's happened more than once. It's happened more than once. That's funny. You know, you think about it, they see these people, you know, sort of shuffling through <laughs> by the thousands every day. Or, or whether you make a connection with someone or whether someone, you're sitting in a room with a prospective client and he looks you up and down and he says, that's going to be my lawyer. You don't know what that element might have been that that did it, well, but it's all interconnected. That that's funny that you said that. I, this is going back to high school for me, but I remember taking my, my friend couldn't take his father to see this attorney in downtown LA for whatever reason, so he asked me to take him, which I did, and um, drive him down there. We get into the big high rise building, very nice office. And we're sitting there and the gentleman turns the corner and just looks disheveled and just, remember, I'm, I'm probably 11th grade at this time. And so I turn to my friend's father. I'm like, if that's your attorney, you lost, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he just didn't look like he would be able to get the job done. Yeah. And so it's, it's interesting. Um, let's do, um, I mean, you said so much stuff there, but we're going to move on. Uh, fill in the blank. Now, you probably heard the fill in the blank on the other episodes, I but I, I changed it up on you. Oh, no. <laughs> this is, well, this, this episode is a little bit different. Okay. So I figured I had to change the fill in the blank. Uh, so fill in the blank. And this is more of a sentence and you'll, you'll fill it, you'll fill it in. Being aware of your own style blanks you. Creates you. Creates you. 
you want to expound on that? I always give a, I mean, I, I think you've already said it earlier, but. It's part of the creative process. It's part of, we all have the opportunity to create and recreate ourselves mm -hmm. as many times as we want and in the direction that we want. And so I think that dressing well and, and paying attention to that is part of your ongoing evolution and your creation as a person. And it's your opportunity to, like Michelangelo might carve out of a piece of marble, right? The statue of David. Uh, that is your opportunity to create yourself and project the message and the communication and the image that you want to project. Yeah. Oh yeah, but you're you're hitting you're hitting all my questions. You're hitting everything on the, on the head because I, um, you know, was going to ask you about design thinking too, and you know, it's like engineers they think that way, right? It's like who is it for, right? And what's it for? And it seems like you you take all that into consideration when you are um, designing your wardrobe. Another thing before before I get into that to the other one. So obviously, I, on your your coffee table, right? You have all these coffee table books, being Chanel, be it Dior, um, the one you had Alexander McQueen, and then you have the one the Vocabulary of Style, right, by Chanel. So, is that just for aesthetic purposes, or do you really read those those books? Have you? So I I peruse those books. I think it is, as much as anything, a reminder for me of the importance of style and design, not just in terms of, again, I think it permeates everything that we do. I think good lawyers and good advocates are designers, all right? I think that if you think about your audience, like you just mentioned a moment ago, who is this for? It's engineers. They're, they're trying to think of who's going to be using this and what's the function of it. You have to get into that designer's mindset. The, you know, there's a guy named Robin Sharma. Who I don't know if you listen to. I don't know. He's got a lot of good things to say, and I, I recommend it. He calls it the artisan mindset. I think this is critical. I think that we have to see ourselves as designers, as purveyors of design and craft. And when you... I'll give you an example, all right, in my everyday work. Yes. I pay a lot of attention to presentations, not just briefs, not just legal writing and structure, but how is that now going to be taken and presented to the audience? And I spend a lot of my own sort of personal time in PowerPoint and thinking about how I'm going to tell the story. That to me is design. What images am I going to use? How am I going to make this make sense? How am I going to tell things sequentially so that the audience understands it? And how am I going to take complicated tax concepts and make them digestible to an audience, especially we don't have a specialized tax court here in California. So the guy who's hearing the tax case is the guy who just heard the breach of contract case, who just heard the car accident case, hmm. who just heard the case about trade secrets. So we have generalist trial court judges. So. You have to make sure to engineer, to use your word, to design, to craft your argument in a way that makes sense to the audience. So in that sense, we're all artists and we're all craftsmen and we're all designers 
and I have all these books around me to remind me of that. Yeah. Wow. Fell in the blank number two, especially for you. <laughs> you can never be overdressed or over blank. And that was an Oscar Wilde quote. You know, so he said overeducated. So obviously I don't yeah. think you, I don't think you're I'm gonna debating say between two. I'm debating between over prepared <laughs> and over enthused. Hmm. You can never have too much enthusiasm. Mm-hmm. And I think those two things go hand in hand. If you have the enthusiasm, then you will take all the extra steps you need to that other people aren't willing to do and put in the long hours and put in the time that others aren't willing to do because you're enthused about what you're doing and you believe very deeply in what you're doing. So you can never be too over-prepared or too over-enthused. Yeah. Enthusiasm, the, the last three letters... <laughs> right, I what was it? I am so myself. How many lives? Whatever that. <laughs> um, oh, oh, the last one. I'm sorry. So this one is also something you've probably heard before if you watched the the movie Annie. So you're never fully dressed without a blank, a necktie. Without a necktie. So. Does that mean that you have put on a suit or a sport coat and shirt without a tie? Or do you, every time you, you do that, you have to have a tie? I, no, I, I, I listened to the, the call of the question. Maybe that's the lawyer in me. You're never fully dressed. But mm-hmm. I don't know that you always need to be fully dressed. Uh, there are some occasions that don't. I usually wear a tie every day to work. Let me just tell you, even on Fridays, <laughs> I don't believe in casual Friday. I'm probably your ideal client in that regard. But I see, I see this increasing trend of, of people wanting to dress things down. So they'll wear a suit, but it's sort of like the tech thing now. I'm not going to wear a tie because yes, for it's, whatever reason. Yeah. So, too stuffy and make people feel comfortable. Right. I don't believe in that. I believe in you do what you believe in and let everybody else acclimate and feel comfortable around you. I'm not going to get in somebody's face and I'm not going to wear a you know suit to a picnic. I'm not saying dress inappropriately, but I'm also saying that if you wear a suit, I like to wear a tie. Mm-hmm. If you're going to wear a sport coat with nice, clean denim, then maybe a tie is not called for. Or maybe it is. Maybe it should be a knit tie. Maybe it should be something else. But... I don't believe that you're fully dressed unless you're wearing a tie. Yeah. No. Um, I agree. And you also mentioned pocket squares earlier. Yes. Yes. What about the pocket square? So that just takes it to me. That takes it to another level. I don't feel fully dressed unless I'm wearing a pocket square. But I'm not saying everybody else needs to. I, I think it's fine if you don't. But I do think it's an additional detail that shows that you're paying attention. Yes, exactly. And allegedly, any well-dressed man wears a pocket, pocket square. So, um, but it's the same thing as, oh, it's, it's too much. I don't want to throw anybody off. I'll just lose a pocket square and I'm fine. Well, can I make an observation? I think if you go back in history and you look at our presidents, the pocket square is much more in vogue earlier on. These days, I think the messaging is you're not connecting with the common man if you're wearing the pocket square. 
I think if you go back and you see Jack Kennedy, Jack Kennedy wore a pocket square. Ronald Reagan wore a pocket mm-hmm. square. You go back in time before that, people were dressing up more. But I think now it's there's a perception that that is somehow represents separation or disconnection. I don't think so. Yeah, yeah, that's too bad that that's the perception. Um, we'll come back to that. Um, we'll, it's another episode, uh, another segment that we normally do, but we'll come back to that. Um, I want to go back to, to books because I mentioned the coffee table books and I know just by being around you that you read. So is there a certain clothing book? It can be like Clothes and the Man by Alan Flusser or it could be um, even something like The Brand Within. Damon John wrote, I don't know if it was real. I didn't read that one, but I, I heard about it. So talking about that personal brand, is there any book that um relative to clothing that you have read and would recommend to to others i think that a good guide is there is a series of books by brooks brothers Hmm. on etiquette and style and there's one called how a gentleman should dress and i think that it is a very approachable book it's very to the point, very pithy, and contains a lot of practical tips on what to do and how to dress in certain situations. I think that's a good one. And then very, very early on in my development, shall we say, when I was in high school, I grew up in Northern California in a city called Burlingame, and we had a very nice public library, and we still do. And I found a book by someone named Carol, and I can't remember her last name, called Color for Men. Color for Men. And I remember reading this when I was a teenager. And it would talk about the different types of skin tone, spring, summer, fall, winter. I'm a winter. So that, you know, so certain colors are going to look better on you than others. Certain colors, if you wear, are going to look washed out on you mm-hmm. just because of your skin tone. You can wear any color you want, but it's all about the tone and sort of the palette of that particular color that you should pay attention to based on your coloring. So that was an important book. It also talked about different styles, like the classic style or the... I forgot, there are three or four different styles. It's sort of based on your personality and based on your bone structure that you should pay attention to. So that was sort of, I can't remember, it was Carol something or other. The book is out of, out of publication oh, at it? this point, but I think you can find it on Amazon as a used book. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that was, I remember, an important book for me, reading that very early on. Wow. Yeah, we got to find that one then. Um it was we were taught as custom clothiers spring winter all that stuff that and and you said it you can wear any color that you want we were taught as long as you have some type of balance right then you can you can pull it off because they didn't want us to get pigeonholed uh as custom clothiers with a client saying well i only can wear this this, these these are my colors, so we're working in this palette here. So it's it's funny that um, that you're into that. Well, I think it's a, I, I think it's a guideline, and I think mm-hmm. that you know you got to again understand the audience. That that book was probably not written for 
clothing professionals and style professionals like you. Mm. It was written for the the average Joe who wants to dress a little better and look better yeah. on Saturday night. Exactly. If you are under the supervision of a Trent Clark, then Trent can probably put you in any color and make you look good. <laughs> we would hope so. Uh, but I get it. I mean, even some, so, so one of the examples that they would say, talking about colors and if you were a certain color and one day you're out in the public and people keep saying, oh, are you sick? Are you sick? Because that certain color made you look sick. So, yeah, I, I get it. So we need something to, to follow at some point. Let's do um, this. This is new, too. I've never done this. So this, I, I don't know even know what we can call this segment, but we'll, we'll call it um, either or. <laughs> so I'm going to give you a phrase and you can tell me which one is the appropriate phrase. So, is it fold like a cheap suit? That phrase? You've heard that before, yes, right? Yes, I have. Or is it fold like a cheap suitcase? Which one really was the first one mm. that, of those phrases? So this is a test? Like, you have the answer? Or you're asking <laughs> I me? do have the answer. I have the answer. I would probably say it's the opposite of what I think. Fold like a cheap suitcase. Yes, it is. It started full like a cheap suitcase. And uh, <laughs> and so somehow at that point, it got to full like a cheap suit. So I guess cheap suitcases were known back in the day to collapse very easily. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so and then some along somewhere along the way, they lost the case. And then it was like, you're going to fold like a cheap suit. Yeah, because that really doesn't make a lot of sense. Why would why would a cheap suit fold? <laughs> any suit should fold. Yeah, more or less than an expensive one. That doesn't make any sense. Exactly. Right yeah. Okay. Um, we always do the right hand, left hand. So we're gonna. I, I got to get that one in because that's just something I'm, I'm taking a little study too. So are you right handed or left handed? Okay. So I am left handed, but. <laughs> I think left-handed is for all my fine motor skills. Right-handed is for gross motor skills. So, for example, I will write left. I will cut left. Mm-hmm. But I will throw right. I will play tennis with my right hand, but I'll bat left. I don't know. It's a little bit interesting. Mm-hmm. So you're truly ambidextrous, and you've always been that way. I think well, you so, didn't yes. You train yourself no, I didn't one train way or the other? I kick with both feet. Uh-huh. I can't shoot a basketball with both feet, but... I mean, with both, both hands. That would be, be good. Yeah, that'd be impressive. You will have your own league if you do that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, right brain or left brain? I think I am a little bit of both. I oh. think I'm I'm right brained to the extent that I have any creative thought or creative output. That's when sort of my right brain kicks in when I'm when I'm trying to synthesize information to turn it into a presentation, that's right brain. When I'm gathering the information, when I'm troubleshooting things, when I'm figuring out, dissecting arguments, that's left brain. Mm-hmm. So, and, and, I, and just by talking to you today, we can see that you're a little bit of both. Uh, and most people, most people have been right-handed and most have been, they would say both. 
So going back to the right hand or left hand, since so since you are ambidextrous, how how do you decide which wrist you want your monogram on? Mm. <laughs> because normally it's the opposite of you know if you're right handed it goes on the left side, if you're left handed it goes on your right side, or wherever your watch goes. So um, so how do you decide where to put your monogram? I usually go on the right because that's where my watch is. Mm-hmm. But and but you could go either way. I could right? go either way. <laughs> Maybe there's an argument that it should be on the other hand, so that it's you know you have ornamentation on both sides. I don't know. Oh, I, I'm just asking now that um, you know all this is coming out. <laughs> um, do you know where the monogram, the book where the monogram says it should go, or where the book says the monogram should go? No, I don't. I don't. So the book says, and once again, I have no idea how it got to be on the cuffs, but it was either chest or on your pocket or on your waist. Oh. That's where it originated, and somehow it got to the cuffs. Interesting. I had no idea. So, yeah. So now you know. So some some vanguard decided, you know what? The heck with everybody else. I'm putting it on the cuff. There you go. There you and go. then you got some guys that... Most of them are preachers, but they'll put it on their collar. Ah, yeah, this is nice. kind of crazy. Um, let's end here with, um, it was a study. It was a thin slicing study. And I, <laughs> you give me that look. And so, so most people who have a big pitch or a big presentation, and you mentioned um, presentations and how... Um, you pay attention to all the details going into that. Most of them either focus on the middle of that presentation or the very end of that pitch or presentation. Skipping over um, probably the most important part, where the study said the most important part are actually the first two seconds of that presentation. And if they say, if you don't nail the first two seconds of that presentation, then obviously the middle and the end are, it's a moot point, it's irrelevant if you didn't know the first two seconds. So it was a 1992 Harvard research, I forget who the researchers were, but we can look it up, and they said they found that first impressions are essential for our success. Um, So their experiment asked students to look at a video of professors for two seconds. So not, not very long, right? Two second video of professors teaching. Then they compared those two seconds of the video with they had another, well, same set of students, excuse me, sit in the class for a whole semester and then they were supposed to rate that professor's performance. So they rated the first professor's performance off the first two seconds of a video and then they gave them a whole um, a whole semester to do to do the same thing. So the results were the teachers who got low video ratings also got low in-person semester ratings and vice versa. If they got high two seconds ratings, they got high um, semester ratings. So, so we're two seconds versus dozens of meetings with, with these professors. So what they didn't say in all that was even the, the two second videos 
it was no audio, right? So they couldn't even hear what the teacher was professing. It was just obviously just going off of image and body language. So as someone who takes their presentations so seriously, right, do you feel all this is accurate and do you focus on that first two seconds? And obviously we know you focus on your, your image in, but how does this relate to you? I think it's study. I think it's all spot on. None of it's really that surprising to me. The comment I was going to make and you answered it for me. Oh, I'm sorry. No, no, it's okay. (laughs) No, no, it was good. It was good because it sort of confirmed the point that I was going to make is even if they had the audio, what could you possibly say in two seconds? Yes. That, would allow someone to evaluate you. So what it what it really means is audio or no audio, they're looking at you, at your presence, at your nonverbal communication. You know, I think it's really important if you're giving a presentation, the entry into the room. That's an important part of the presentation that people don't pay attention to. And there are studies that that will tell you that you should walk from left to right onto a stage if you're coming on with your body angled and tilted toward the audience so that, th- that they can see you. You know, the, all these things are, are really important because we do form impressions quickly and the nonverbal messaging, we're so caught up in getting out everything that we want to say verbally that we don't pay attention to all the nonverbal messaging and communication that we are emitting. And so it is not surprising to me that this study came to the conclusion and results that it did. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I personally, to get back to answering your question, I personally think it's extremely important to capture your audience right away, to right away establish credibility. And part of the way that you do that in the first two seconds is how you appear and how you carry yourself. It's the clothing, it's the all that sort of preparation, but also your posture. How are you, your eye contact, you, the level of confidence that you convey and project. People need to not only hear your words, but they need to, they need to not only listen, but they need to hear and they need to understand and they need to believe in you as a communicator. It's so, so important. There's a, there's a reason why these public officials spend, spend you know, millions of dollars hiring consultants, telling them what they should and shouldn't do, what they should say or shouldn't say, you know, what colors they should wear, what all of this signifies. It's because they're all aware that the stakes are so high at that level that they're aware, acutely aware of their nonverbal communication. So it's not surprising to me. So, yeah, I, I don't, I wouldn't understand, quite frankly, if people were paying attention to the middle or the end, because the beginning is everything. Mm. Wow. It, it's that first contact, that first interaction. It's everything. I like that. You should um, trademark that. I don't know. <laughs> the beginning is everything. I've, yes. I've never, I've never heard it before. Maybe, maybe that just came out. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, I think it's probably we're up against the clock and we probably should wrap up. 
So on every show, we always give the listeners an opportunity to reach you somehow, some way. So it can be your website. It can be social media platforms that you're on. It could be your phone number, whatever you want to do. So how do the venters reach Marty DeCassian? The best way to reach me is to go to the website, which is www.decassianlaw, all one word, dot com. And all my contact information is on there. Very intuitive, easy to navigate. And you have my address, phone number, even my email is on there. So. All right. No social media, not in. I do LinkedIn. I have a Twitter account, but I, it's not very active. Yeah, yeah, yeah. same here. Yeah. <laughs> well, Marty, you know, I, I think the world of you. I think you're great. As I um, said, I believe that you are the preeminent tax attorney, um, probably in the country. We're not just going to limit it to California, so. I would urge all of the listeners, if there's any type of tax situations for state of California, because you specialize in the state of California, right? State of California, definitely um, seek out Marty, and um, he can he can definitely help you with any things that that's going on tax wise. So, as you said, the beginning is everything. Unfortunately, that brings us to to the end of of this, but it was um, meant everything for you doing this for for us today, and so I want to thank you. Thank you, Trent. You're a true gentleman, and I'm very mindful of uh, the role that you've had in helping me reach my audience with your input and your guidance. Trent, you are a true gent. Thank you. We'll end it on that. Thanks, Marty. Venters. Hopefully this episode and podcast is on your best money ever spent list, especially since it's free. Since you're finding value, please share Vent with Trent the Gent with your family and friends. Until next time, keep creating.